Hello and welcome again to another episode of Five Plain Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to Native American artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bears, people in the community that are doing great things for their communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of CANA, the Native American programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our Native American community from around the region and country. I want to introduce you to Inkba Manny. He's a young Dakota artist working in the Northern Plains. He received his Bachelor of Fine Arts from the University of South Dakota in 2019 and is working on his Dakota Teaching Certificate and Business Administration degree from the Sisseton Wapiton College in Old Agency, South Dakota. He's been accepted to the Leroy E. Hofberger School of Painting at Maryland Institute of College of Art for the fall of 2021. What makes Inkba so interesting is that he isn't just a painter or a sculptor, a researcher, or an activist. He's, he's all these things. His interest is in academics, Dakota traditions, and contemporary life are major themes in his work. Like so many, Inkba uses his Dakota and Western theories of art to create works that help tell the story of his community. His work tells the stories of survival, brilliance, and the hope that he sees in his people. So, let's jump into this interview with Inkba. But Manny, welcome to Five Plain Questions. How are you doing? Um, doing pretty good. Just glad to be on here. Um, I truly believe this is kind of an honor. I mean, listening in and hearing all the other artists and all the other um, people that you've interviewed. This is, it feels almost out of my league, but I'm really happy to be, be here and um, sharing my own story. Inkba, oh, thank you so much for that. It's really kind of you to say that. But of course, you're in a community of, of some really outstanding people and you've learned from them and you've worked for, with them. So you're you're in good company for sure. So yeah, let's uh, jump into this and ask the first question. Um, can you talk a little bit about yourself, your background and where you're from? Yeah, definitely. Um Simon Dumaris Um Wauspe itoa pikare ed wase wakba vermilion at the University of South Dakota itoa pikare degree wana wana makote tokecha wichike api heha um so my name is Inkbamani. Uh, my Dakota name is uh Inkbamani. Um but I just go by Inkbamani, it's easier for people to say. Um but uh I my parents are Simon and Anita Dumars. Um and I studied at the University of South Dakota for fine arts, and that's where I got my bachelor's of fine arts. And currently I'm teaching at Teosh Bazina, and I'm a geography teacher. And then as this week, I'm also an immersion school um, teacher, and I kind of just share oral histories and stories. So 
I'm having fun with that and kind of just exploring um, my career and wherever the creator's taking me right now. So it's kind of a interesting time for sure. But that's kind of just of who I am. I'm part of the Wamadi Hadeshkar, the Spotted Eagle, Tioshbai, or the uh, kind of family group. Um, and most of my family is either from the Twin Cities, uh, the Sisseton, Lake Travers area, or Chihuahua, Mexico. Um, and I'm an artist, researcher, and activist. I'm primarily a painter, um, but I've also been doing uh, media work, uh, sculpting, and um, kind of like a social activist mixed in with uh, public art. I believe we first crossed paths about two years ago down at EOSD, and that was during the at the end of the summer, the Oscar House Summer Art Institute. Uh, you were an instructor down there, and you had just completed your thesis. And so I remember going into the painting studio, and you had your your thesis up there, and you were talking about your process, and your your images were so impressive. Um, but the thought process behind it was was very thoughtful and engaging. Um, but yeah, that was two years ago, I believe. Is that right? Uh, 2019, the summer of 2019. Wow. Seems like a lifetime ago. Yeah. I think a lot's changed since then. So I want to ask you, um, about your, your, your biggest influences, uh, seeing your work and, uh, knowing a little bit about, about your background. I, I am just very curious about, uh, who has influenced you and, and where this comes from. Yeah, definitely. So um, I guess my biggest influence um, overall, like a greater arching theme is my native culture. So um, I'm Dakota, um, but I'm also Tarumala and Mexica or Masaya, which is uh, Aztec, um, or as people call it today. Um, so I definitely grew a lot of influence um, in my creative work and my thoughts from that. Um, and I've kind of lived in a couple different places. Um, so I was born in Minneapolis, St. Paul area, and my mom lived in South St. Paul. Um, but shortly after, my mom had an arranged marriage to a man in Mexico. So we moved down there and I uh, got um, Mexican citizenship down there in Chihuahua, Mexico, in a little village. And we lived over and down in Mexico from um, 1997 till about... Mm-hmm. For sure, 2003, and we were kind of going back a little bit. And then between 2003, 2004, we were in the United States. And then 2005, we we're back in Mexico. And then we came back to the United States when I was in fourth grade. Um, and we've been here ever since. And the main reason we haven't gone back to Mexico is that um, we wanted to be closer to my dad's family on the reservation. And I think it was important for my mom um, to make sure that we got an education that. You know, she's seen how hard it was for a lot of our people not to have an education. And she also seen how successful it was for Native or Native people to have an education. And she wanted us the best for us. My mom's really worked hard to make sure that we have the things we that we need to succeed. Um, so a lot of my influence has come from my mom. Um, she sacrificed way more than, you know, I could ever imagine of doing um, from a young age. Uh, she was in foster homes and she was on the, um, in the streets uh, with a baby when she was still in high school. And then, but she ever, she managed to overcome that in a really great way. And 
um, find a place, a safe place for us to grow up and really be well. Um, so that's my main inspiration is, um, my mom, um, and all that she's done for us, you know, I, I really didn't know that we were, um, when we were young, like, you know, that we were poor, we we didn't have money because my mom always made sure that everything we wanted and needed was taken care of. And if she couldn't afford it, you know, she would make the best next thing happen, um, and make it special and memorable. Uh, and for a long time, it was just my mom and all my siblings. Um, it wasn't until, until later that my mom, um, re-met re my dad and they got married. Uh, and then knowing English and Spanish, so I kind of grew up learning both languages. That's also a big influence. You know, you have that world perspective when you speak a language. And that's why I try to speak as much Dakota um, as I can now, um, because it provides a world view that really does influence of how you create work, how you interact with the world. Um, so my native culture, I would say, is a big inspiration. And then my mom is also a really major inspiration. But in terms of artists, um, my inspiration probably comes largely from Oscar Howe. Um, I remember when I went to school in Wheaton, um, Wheaton is primarily a, um, a Caucasian or a white community, um, farmer, uh, rural kind of community. Um, and that provided its own you know, advantages of growing up there and its own privileges, in which I really appreciate now looking back. But um, I really felt like the most outcasted or not really where I could thrive um, intellectually or um, with my thoughts of really where I wanted to be or where I could be. That just there was nothing nourishing that other than my family. Um, so growing up in that, you know, once I went to college, I went first to uh, M State in Minnesota and Fergus Falls, and I got my AA and my AFA. I got two degrees there um, with honors, and then I moved on to University of South Dakota. And when I went to University of South Dakota, that was the first time I had a not a non um, uh, white person as my teacher or as a professor, and that was really impactful. Um, and that really opened up a lot of doors in my mind of the possibilities and insp inspiring me to go further. Um, that was really, I owe that a lot to Oscar Howe. And I was fortunate enough to be part of the Oscar Howe Summer Institute as a mentor, even though um, I'd never done the summer camp. Um, I'd never kind of done, knew really much about Oscar Howe before that, but Keith must have seen something in me and brought me along. And I was able to be um, a mentor for the students. And then I, I really started getting an interest in Oscar Howe, um, his shape, line, form, um, his color theory. You know, he's he's really a master beyond, um, I think, like, no matter where you place him in time, he'd still be a master where his thoughts, his technique, um, his critical thinking, you know, that really inspired me because before that, um, I, you know, like I said, I grew up in a rural white community where Native people, even though we're just off the reservation, Native people weren't always seen in, as a high um, status. You know, in my family, we knew these stories, but, you know, growing up around people like that, that does influence your thoughts. So seeing someone like Oscar Howe, who, you know, grew up from a uh, reservation and, uh, 
you know, made the best of what he had and used the stories of his people, the ones that his grandma had told him, and the philosophy inspired me to do it just like him. Um, so I would a lot to Oscar how, you know, as his legacy has brought on, brought along a lot of opportunities. And through that, I was able to do the Oscar Howe Fellowship, where I was able to look through all of his paintings and, you know, spend one-on-one um, -on -one alone time just staring at them and absorbing them. Um, and now I have, you know, I photographed them, so I, I use them as reference quite a bit when I'm stuck on certain um, problems. but. Oscar Howe for sure is a major influence for me um, and continues to be when I look to my own work when I'm stuck. Um, so that's like another big point of, um, he's one of my like main inspirations for other artists that really inspire me um, is Charles White. Um, his drawings, his lithographs, um, his paintings. Um, to me, they just, they bring so much emotion and life to the black body. Um, and that's something that I always want to do with my painting is um, to bring life and accuracy of who our people are as Dakota, Lakota, Native people today. Um, there's a lot of like stereo, stereotyping and romanticizing of the, in, the Indian body. But um, when I look at Charles White's, there's something honest, there's something that, you know, you can feel um, a love for his people. Um, and from him, what I learned is that, uh, paint is the only weapon. And this is a quote by him. Um, paint is the only weapon I have to fight what I resent. So looking at his work, it opened up, like you can use your art um, to say something more than, um, then, you know, then what first meets the eye, you can, you can fight a battle, an institutional battle or an intellectual battle, um, that sometimes it's hard to put into words, but that feeling is always behind it. Um, so that's another one of my inspirations and someone that I look to and, um, I want to convey a, an emotion, um, Another artist or another couple artists that really inspire me is uh, Carrie James Marshall. Um, he's unapologetically black within his paintings. Um, I love that he, you know, makes great large paintings. I mean, one of his quotes, he says that he wanted to make large paintings so that they would fill up institutions and museums so that at least, you know, if he's the only black person in that museum, um, other people can, you know, see that, identify it and feel included within those institutions. Now, I think that, you know, a lot of those, um, you know, museums are changing and they're becoming a lot more, um, they're including a lot more diverse voices. But, you know, when I first heard that from him, you know, that was, that was empowering. That was really, you know, something that, you know, got a fire burning in me as well. You know, that you can make really big works to show off, you know, your people to, to be included, you know, that's a really good feeling. Um, another one that I really am inspired by is Roger Shimomura. Um, you know, he uses his tradition as being a Japanese um, American descendant, um, but he uses the woodblock technique and uses manga um, and just in an unexpected and real cultural way. Um, he mixes his contemporary American life, his Japanese tradition, um, into his paintings. And I you know, when I first seen his paintings, um, in Omaha, um, 
again, they just set up another fire. And that's a lot of the um, people who inspire me are, are people who create a fire um, inside of me, not only their work, but the thought behind their work and the reason of why they're creating, you know, it's larger than them. And that's what I hope to do with my work is that someday, you know, it's larger than me and can talk to something um, that words can't always be placed into. Um, so that's kind of like my inspirations um, and definitely uh, stories of survival of our people that that's always inspired me. We're, we're told so often, you know, the negative, the negative um, statistics or the negative aspects of our culture. I um, mean, it's, it's, it's taken a little bit of uh, thinking for me to how to redepict those things in a positive light. Um, so those are the things that really inspire me. Oscar Howe, Carrie James Marshall, Charles White, Roger Shijimura, um, but also, you know, my peers um, and the people who I consider mentors, they're, they're always talking to me and helping me along with my thoughts. You know, I think being young, you, you think you know something until you talk to an elder or you talk to someone with more experience and you feel like, wow, there's so much more to learn. Um, so those are kind of like the people who, who I admire. So how have you developed your career uh, both college and post-college? Oh, uh, well, I'm just out of college. Like, well, actually, I'm technically still in college. <laughs> so I'm not sure um, quite yet. But, um, you know, I've been um, actively trying to make art um, probably since I was about 15. I got really, like, serious about it, and I started applying for grants that were available um, to me through the Lakes Region Arts Council. And... I'm really grateful for them too. Cause you know, they, they seen, I'm guessing they seen something in me that they, they were willing to invest into me. Um, so it's really started kind of from there, you know, and then I worked with a master woodworker, um, Richard Vanderveer and, you know, I was really thankful for him because he allowed me to stay at his home, um, on Swan Lake and Fergus Falls for a summer. Um, and he taught me, um, quite a few things, you know, just how to look at art. Um, you know, you know, he's, he's quite a bit older um, than me and I was, I was grateful for that opportunity to work with him, you know, wood carving. Um, but one of the things that I learned from that experience is that it really takes a lot of work um, to be an artist, you know, here I was in high school thinking that, you know, I just have to make a really good piece of work and then that would be it, you know, in my naive self. And then he taught me, you know, just how much work, you know, goes into, into things. Before that, I was just drawing every day. Um, so when I was thinking about it, you know, um, what, what I've really done uh, to develop my own career is, um, going out and always talking to people. Um, I always have my phone with me and I try to do my best to take really good photos and keep it on a folder on my phone. Um, but it's constantly talking to people about my work, whether they're related to the arts or not related to the arts. It's gotten me used to talking about what is my work? Why do I create work? If I wasn't doing the work that I am today, what would I be creating? Um, and these just come from conversations, you know, from talking to just anybody that will listen. Um, 
about why I create work, what my my work, my artwork is. Um, so that's the the biggest thing that I've done to develop my career is you know being uh, being willing to go out and share that I am an artist. This is what you know I'm passionate about. Um, so that's like the main thing for me that's you know really helped in my um my short career so far is that just be willing to go out there and talk to people. Um, then next part I would say is, um, for developing my careers, you know, really focusing in on what are my talents. Um, I can tell you what my talents aren't, you know, I'm not a really good, um, abstract painter. I'm not a very good, um, gestural painter, but, um, I focused in on my talents and one of my talents I would say is, you know, being a storyteller, um, you know, taking information, remembering things, um, holding them in my mind and creating that narrative in my mind and being able to reduplicate it, with, uh, to reduplicate it to tell stories. Um, so my talent, you know, and de developing that talent is, you know, through talking, creating. Um, and then I'd say another part of how I've developed my career is understanding my why. Um, and that there's really kind of taken me a while and I'm still trying to figure out, you know, why do I create work? But I kind of like when I shared earlier that, um, you know, when I went to, high, to college, I hadn't experienced a lot of native people who had succeeded and then meeting, um, meeting uh, people in the university who had doctorate's degrees and were native. And that really inspired me and, that really got me to question what is my purpose? What is my purpose of creating? What is the legacy I want to create with this work? Um, because no matter what, I think all most of the art that an artist creates, you know, it, it lives on through the relatives, um, the people who share the stories, and the work lives on as well. Um, so understanding why I make work um, for me right now, why I make work is to share stories of our contemporary Dakota people. Um, and the stories that matter to us today and stories that I believe are important to carry on. Um, so those are kind of like my, my reasons of, um, of why or how I've developed my career. Um, I can tell you a lot of, you know, where I wanted to go. Um, you know, I've, I've really been working at my art um, only a couple of years you know, comparisons to some of the people I admire who've, you know, been in the game for 20 plus years, but, um, where I want to see my, my career develop and, um, where I want to go, um, is definitely to get my master's of fine arts. Um, I heard a pretty cool statistic and it talked about, um, well, first I heard a statistic that said that native people don't graduate from high school at high rates. We're impoverished. Um, we're less likely to do certain things. But one of the ones that stuck out to me was that when a native person goes to college, they're more likely um, to get a master's degree and they're more likely to get a doctorate's degree. And I was like, what? That's so cool that, you know, they have all these odds against us. But in the end, if we go out and we, you know, really champion for ourselves and we get the support to graduate from college from, for a bachelor's, we're more likely to, um, receive a master's and then a doctorate's and just that way of thinking, you know, um, made me think, you know, well, there's no reason why I couldn't go off and get, uh, um, uh, 
a master's or doctorate. So now my my biggest thing that I want to accomplish now is continue teaching um, at Teoshpazina, but I also want to go off to the East Coast, um, maybe Yale or uh, Maryland Institute College of Art and Design, um, maybe New York and get my master's. I think that going to the East Coast offers a social capital that I'm able to, um, how would you say that? I would be able to utilize and nourish. Um, I would say I'm fairly decent at talking to people um, and telling my stories of who I am and why, what do I do? Um, and I want to create networks and like pipelines to get, allow other native artists, other native youth to see that it is possible to go off to a, a, a prestigious institution um, or a Ivy league. And that's what I want to do is to go off and do those things, um, mingle amongst the people um, in the high art world and then come back to my community. Um, everything's always come back to going back to my family or going back to my community. So in developing my career, I want to go off to the East Coast, spend a couple of years um, in New York or um, Maryland or other art centers and do the best that I can and sharing what I know and absorbing everything around me and making those connections that will last a lifetime, uh, a lifetime to do so. Um, when I, when I got an opportunity to be an assistant to, um, Edgar Heaperbirds during this Oscar house summer Institute, um, I spent quite a bit of time um, talking to him and he's, he mentioned that, you know, sometimes when you don't go off to certain places, it might take years and years, maybe your whole career, to gain access to a market. But if you go and study in that market, you know, you're going to rub elbows with those people. And for my long-term goals, that's what I want to do. Um, because after I get my master's, I want to be an art professor, um, inspire other people and give a voice to our Dakota people or be not to give a voice, but be an additional voice to all the voices that are currently there. <laughs> And just share how brilliant our Dakota people were. Um, for thousands of years, we've known that the earth is a sphere around. We've known that how the earth um, revolves around the sun. Um, Dakota people are one of the oldest metalworking societies um, in human history, you know, dating back about 9,000 years. Um, but these aren't the stories that were often told or shared in schools or colleges. So as a professor, you know, that is my goal um, to share some of these narratives of the, the brilliance, the critical thoughts that our people have to offer um, because native, native voices aren't always heard in certain spheres. So I want to make it available where possible. And then my long-term goal um, is for someday to be able to help out with creating a Northern Plains Art Institute. Um, what, that would be like a college that maybe starts off with a two-year program and then would eventually over several years or decades move into a master's program in the Northern Plains. Um, and that would cater to the Northern tribes. Um, to have accessibility to an art institution where you wouldn't have to travel so far. You know, you could still stay within the region of your people. So within that, you know, it takes a lot of talking. It takes, you know, developing your own talents, um, understanding why you, that you do the, th the things you do so that when they used to, uh, when the time comes to, you know, do these things, 
um, I'm able to be successful in it. Um, that I won't have to be running backwards and um, playing catch up. Um, so that's kind of how I've developed my career. But I'm definitely always going out and talking to people. I'm showing my work, doing the best that I can as a Dakota um, to, to just share. So how are you seeking opportunities or how are opportunities uh, seeking you at this point? I would say by being sociable and making making being uh, sociable kind of almost a full-time job, you know, um, going, going out amongst my community and artist communities and taking the time, you know, to meet the people there uh, taking the time to keep connected with uh, my artist community. Um, and I think just by being a good person, you know, in the art world, people, People will help you just because you have a fire inside of you um, and they want to help help with that. Um, I'm always working on something um, and I'm always sharing what I'm, I'm working on. Um, so like one of the ones, you know, that I always shared with you was that I was super interested in um, the Whitestone Hill massacre and all that had happened there. So for weeks, you know, I researched um, as much as I could about Whitestone Hill, um, you know, and that brings its own pain and its own traumas, learning some of our histories. But I spent the time doing that and imagining, you know, what are the possibilities that we could create with that? Um, and then with that, I've been in contact with a couple of people about possibly making a monument at Whitestone Hill. So currently at Whitestone Hill, which is in North Dakota, it's a massacre site um, or a camp of 5,000 Lakota, Dakota um, were camped and they were attacked by the United States government. And a lot of their people died there and then were eventually um, put into um, prison. But, you know, that's one way that I that I make opportunities for myself. I have an idea and I try to research it as much as I can, you know, whatever it is. Um, like I said, in the beginning, I really like to uh, research. I like to um, learn. I read all the time. I draw all the time. And I do this because I want to show that I've at least put in the legwork that it takes to get some of these things. So someday I want to create a show um, about based on the research that I've made. Um, but I have to put in that legwork. I want to be one of the most knowledgeable people on that subject so that any um, unexpected surprises I can tackle. Um, I guess another way that, you know, I make these opportunities for myself is letting people know that I'm an artist, um, where I'm located. Um, whether they're other artists or non-artists, you know, I'm always trying to share what I'm doing, whether it's on Instagram, Facebook, or in face-to-face. Um, I've got my own little business cards that I was so happy that my friends um, pushed me to make, but I'm always trying to share who I am and what I do. And then I think that those opportunities just um, come because people want to support um, young artists or artists who have a fire inside of them. Um, and I'm always trying to give back to my community. Um, so I think 
part of it is um, like our Dakota philosophy of Dakushkashka or Doksha Adipte. Um, Doksha Adipte is like whatever comes around, goes around. And that uh, Dakushkashka is that unseen movement, um, that energy that travels um, and creates things to happen. Um, so every time I've given an opportunity, you know, I always stop and give thanks because um, in my spirituality, I understand that there's a lot more things going on than me, you know. So I, I allow those those energies to just kind of pass through me, give thanks, um, and try to stay in relation to those things, those uh, human, non-human, um, animate, non-animate things. Um, so that's kind of how I... <laughs> Um, I seek opportunities um, in that way. Um, but I'm also very involved um, with a wide variety of things. I'm always applying to grants. I'm always applying to artist opportunities. Um, even if it's just a small workshop where you know, I don't think I need to um, know how to make moccasins right now. Well, someday I might need to know how to make moccasins or a beaded knife sheath or a bow and arrow. So I take as many opportunities that there is and let them, you know, go wherever they may go to. Um, an example of how, you know, an opportunity has come by over the course of several years. Um, I happened to go to an artist reception for Laura Youngbird and, um, I ended up talking to her there. I didn't really know who she was other than she was native and, um, I talked to her and then after that, she invited me to the Plains Art Museum and I kept going up there showing her my work, um, showing, you know, the different things I'm working on. And she would invite me to different artist opportunities that were happening at the Plains Art Museums. Um, I entered a couple of shows, um, that she had sent me and then, so I entered to the shows. Um, then eventually that led me to meeting, um, Dwayne Goodwin, and then I got to spend a week with him, um, Laura Youngberg and Felix Youngberg, um, working on stone sculptures. Well, then a couple years later, that stone sculpture opportunity led to, um, helping, um, uh, Dwayne, uh, create a large monument at the University of Minnesota. And then through that work, um, that's led to, an upcoming, upcoming opportunity at Sisseton where I'll be creating a 10 foot tall st uh, stone sculpture um, for our community. Um, so, so if I hadn't just gone out and, you know, just taken the time to introduce myself, share my work, I don't think any of those uh, opportunities would have happened. And as an artist, um, I think it is really important that you, you know, you go out and you share your work. Um, you know, part of it is creating it for ourselves, but I know I, I think as Native people, we create work for our community, for our people, um, to feel empowered, to to have a voice. So sharing it is really important to uh, to that dialogue um, in here up in the Northern Plains. Yeah, I think a key part of that is to show up and put in the miles, so to speak, uh, especially when it comes to the Whitestone memorial uh the massacre that happened up there in 1863 after the 1862 war in minnesota you know that memorial 
um, really models itself after a lot of those statues that were going up all around the country, especially in the South, uh, during that time frame, early 20th century. A very racist movement that gaslighted uh, the country in, with, with a false history. So... You know, it's something that's not talked about. It's not well known in this area outside of a lot of uh, the Native Americans, uh, those of us Dakota who are aware of this. Um, and it's something that people, I think, need to to realize is there, but also know the, the actual history. And I think we owe it to the younger generations to teach them about this in a way so that they're informed and then we can move beyond this with a true history and a, an actual understanding. Yeah. So um, I'll just share a little bit about it because, you know, this is part of my research. You know, my, there's to me, there's no difference between um, researching something and making art because it's still part of the process. So for me, it's usually comes my artistic process comes from first, I hear something in my community that troubles them or needs to be heard. Then the next step for me is really researching it until you know, I, there's nothing more for me to, to find out until, you know, enough time has passed and enough thoughts have kind of passed by. And then after that, I create work and then I recreate work and then I re-recreate work until, you know, I'm satisfied. But um, what happened in Whitestone Hill, you know, it, it really is a travesty and it's something that really hasn't, I think the mass public hasn't really heard too much about. So in 18, uh, 1863, um, as Dakota people were fleeing from Minnesota, um, they ended up at uh, Chief Patanka's camp. Uh, his name is uh, Chief Big Head. And he ended up, they ended up there with um, uh, Hunkpapa, uh, Sihasapa, and Arikra um, people. And the camp was mainly Hongtuan, Hongtuana, or Pabaksa. Um, but it was, you know, this camp really represented the Ocheti Shakoi plus the Rikra during that time. And uh, General Cook and General Sibley and General House, um, after the Dakota people had surrendered and waved a, a flag of peace, they still attacked, you know, a camp of 5,000 uh, which was, they attacked when there was men uh, uh, doing ceremonies. There was women cutting up meat to dry and children playing. Um, and from the low estimates, from talking to THPOs, our tribal historic preservation officers, you know, it's estimated at least 600 Dakota people, Lakota people, Rikra people um, were massacred there. And the rest were made to flee without any clothes, food, or shelter. <laughs> Um, so that was, you know, a big travesty, but, you know, it continued on for people, you know, for years, um, the people that survived were made to kill some of the survivors. They marched, um, hundreds of miles down to Crow Creek where they were in prison for 10 years. Um, then after that, uh, chief Bighead was made to walk to, um, to Iowa, to a fort down there. He was in prison there for two years. Then he walked up to Crow Creek. In Crow Creek, he was in prison for another couple of years. And then when he was let out of prison, he um, he was given a plate to eat so he could go back home. But he gave it to his son, and that food was provided by the soldiers. And his oldest son, his name was um, Chapa the Beaver. 
And so his son took the plate because his father, the chief, uh, Chief Big Head said, you know, son, I'm, I'm too tired. I, I've gone through all of this and now I'm tired. Um, Chief Big Head saying six of his grandchildren died during that march from Whitestone Hill to Iowa and then back to Crow Creek in South Dakota. Six of his grandchildren he seen died. So he gave this food to his son, his eldest son, and said, you know, find the rest of our people. We've been dispersed. We, we need to come back together. So he gave it to his son and his son ate that meal. And a couple hours later, he started spitting out um, blood clots. And after that, Chief Big Head swore that he would never become a, a, an American or a Wasichu. Um, see, if a nation could do something like that, why would he want to be part of that? You know, and he ended up going back to Cannonball and he found some of his relatives. But that's the legacy that, you know, our people um, to still carry. You know, there's a lot of good things that we carry, but that's one of the traumas that we're just starting to, you know, unravel, that we're starting to understand. Um, but one of my hopes is, you know, within the next couple of years um, to create an art show, you know, commemorating that, that event, 600 people passed away. Um, men, women, children, you know, that's, that's a big loss for any nation. Um, but you know, I'm also researching other things right now on like the development of pottery in the upper plains. Um, more native people are hit, are killed by vehicular homicide than other groups in the United States. Um, uh, the foster care system as a continuation of um, the board school boarding school and assimilation era. Um, and then I'm always researching language as something that could help a lot of these things. Um, so that's kind of like the things that I've been working on recently. I've also been working on um, an art show um, on the creation story of the Ocheti Shakoi, which is led by Keith Braveheart. Um, and that'll be opening up um, in December. Um, and I was given the figure of Tate, so I've been creating, so I just got done creating a painting and a couple installation fabric panels for that. Um, and that took a lot of research as well to understand some of our key creation um, figures, understanding the role that still play a part in our ceremonies and our daily lives today. So what do you want to say to the 18-year-old that's listening to this? Um, well, I'm only like four, four or five years older than an 18 year old. So I was just gonna be like a couple years ago. Um, okay. Let me rephrase it. Let me, let me rephrase it. What would you say to the 18 year old Inkba that's listening to this? You know, I'd probably just reshare some of the, the things, you know, that I've, that I've learned from other artists. Um, and a big influence, you know, in the last couple of years has been, uh, Dwayne Wilcox and, um, Don Monolo. Um, so in my, in my pursuit, you know, just to get out there and make myself known in the Northern Plains art community, um, for our tribal peoples is I went, I've gone to the, um, Northern Plains art market. Um, and for me, I'm not really interested in art markets. I have a mixed, um, relationship, personal relationship with it. Um, but when talking to them, I, I find out that, you know, there is, you know, commonality and they, they want to see younger artists make it and not have to rely on that Indian art market. Um, so in just in my own personal beliefs, I'm not saying that these are like beliefs of these other artists that I'm talking about, but 
And my beliefs, I have a problem with some aspects of the Indian art market where um, you know, a lot of these institutions aren't always run by our native people. It's usually an outside force that gets to determine, you know, what is best of show. Um, and if our best of show, you know, is if the best of show is a lighter, a beaded lighter, but, you know, culturally, um, the, the thing that we value most is, um, I don't know, like a doll, a, a beaded doll. Well, if this beaded lighter ends up winning, you know, our people start to gravitate towards that because a market, um, creates de uh, economic development and it creates op economic opportunities to sell, buy and sell and buy and sell. Over the last couple of years, um, more non more native people have been buying Indian art, but for a long time, it was an outside force who determined what is valued, um, what sells well. And our Indian artists have, um, have bought into it. You know, we they've created work that is easy to sell, um, to the, to the commercial audience. And it's kind of driven away from, you know, work that is culturally important or work that is important for the dialogue that needs to continue happening um, on a critical uh, dialogue level. Um, so that's why I have a little bit of a problem with the art market, but they encouraged me um, like uh, Don Malo and Dwayne Wilcox to keep on that route. You know, there's no reason why we can't be in museums internationally in France and at the Tate Modern and, um, in London, um, so they encouraged me to, you know, keep going within the art world and don't limit yourself to just selling um, drawings to to make unexpected and real work that can change something. Because they were sharing that, you know, at their age, that's what they wanted to do. But um, them growing up in the time frame that they did, you know, they were pushed down on their thoughts or, um, you know made to seem like they couldn't do it but you know seeing some of the work that don monolo and Dwayne wilcox do when it's not um made to cater to an art market wow it did just blow me out mind with the level of creative um ability that they have like wow um so that's what i would tell you know myself back then you know just keep researching keep uh being outgoing um there will always be time to to rest and have fun and um, go to parties or anything like that. But I've really stuck to myself with staying home and kept drawing. I've kept um, thinking, kept talking to the people who are older than me because they have something to offer that um, that I wouldn't be able to gain otherwise, other than through experience and trial and error. So it's it's cut off, you know, some of the, the work that I've had to do, but it's really been helpful for that. Um, yeah, I'm really just appreciative of the, of the people who've been able to talk to me. So I just tell myself, you know, only a couple years ago that continue doing what you think is, what is right for you. Um, listen to that advice that, that they're giving. And then any opportunity that you see, you know, just take it. You know, other things can always wait. You know, hanging out with friends can wait until, until you get some of these things done. Um, I would also say, like, continue reading. Um, I read a lot. 
and especially of like um, turn of the century authors, especially native authors um, like um, Charles Eastman, Zeet Galashaw, um, uh, Amos One Road, um, some of those people because they offered a perspective back into time where our people were still kind of whole. We still had a good sense of who we were. And I look a lot to um, Charles Steesman. Maybe I should include him into one of my other parts of inspiration because the words that he's written down, you know, he wrote them down for his grandchildren. Um, in one of his writings, he talks about that the, the book was dedicated for his future generations. And, you know, like the words that he talks about, about, you know, for a Dakota to be alone was good because that's when you discover something. And it, for me, that's stuck true. That, you know, spending time alone with your thoughts is a great gift that you can give to yourself. Um, giving yourself the time to experience something as it is in that moment is, is special. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what some of the things that I've thought about. Um, and I'd also say continuously draw. Um, if you don't have a sketchbook with you, maybe consider having a sketchbook. You don't have to make finished drawings, um, but somewhere you can put your thoughts and anything that inspires you, write them down and create drawing continuously. I really do believe that the better um, illustrator or drawer that you are, the easier every other form of art will become. I 100% agree with that. 100% agree with that. Where um, can our listener find your work? Um, so I'm on Facebook, which I occasionally share some of my artwork, and that's Inkba Mani. Um, but I primarily have most of my artwork on Instagram under Inkba Mani Art. Um, I, 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 really, I only got into a little bit of it, but I try not to get too involved with you know the, this larger thought of an art market. Um, I try to stay a little bit more within academic side of art. Um, so I don't really buy and sell too much of my work um, unless the opportunity is there um, or if people are really interested. But um, yeah, most of my work is on Instagram. Um, otherwise, it's on Facebook. I had a website at one point, but I don't really utilize it as much. Um, otherwise, wherever you see me, I'm always willing to share whatever I'm working on. Thank you so much for this. This is a great conversation. It's uh, it's always great talking with you. Well, thanks, Joe. It's always it's always fun to meet with you. You offer new perspectives always. <laughs> of course. No, thank you so much for joining us. This was a lot of fun. You take care. All right, Doksha. Okay. And that does it for this episode of Five Plain Questions. I want to thank Inkwa again for his time and sharing his story with us. Uh, so often is the case is that after we shut the mics off, we keep on talking. Um, Inkwa is, is one case. There's been a n numerous times of past episodes where we just carry on great conversations. And I kick myself because there's really good stuff being said, and it would be great to share those things with you. So... Um, just know that, uh, these, these conversations aren't ever forced. Um, they're never, uh, fake, you know, I have the prompts for the questions and we just go from there. Um, but yeah, so, you know, 
uh, hopefully at some point we will be doing programming that is more fluid in a sense um, than just the five plane questions. And that's something we're exploring. Um, also, too, we, we were having technical issues. This was actually the second attempt at this conversation. Um, there was just, uh, I think, Wi-Fi issues. And with this one, um, there were some uh, audio issues on my end. And so it took a lot of work to sort of pull this this um, this episode together. Again, it's, it's housekeeping stuff. It's it's really not for for you to really worry about. Uh, we do what we can to get an episode out every week. So, uh, yeah. So thank you for tuning in and having faith and listening to this these great conversations. Um, I want to acknowledge today is November 11th, 2020. So it's Veterans Day. And I can't, you know acknowledge this day without thinking of my father, who is a U.S. Army veteran, Staff Sergeant Williams, uh, from the 1950s, uh, my uncle Lars, who was an Air Force veteran, uh, my grandfather, who was in the U.S. Navy, uh, so many of my cousins who were uh, Marines in Air Force and Navy, um, and, you know, I'm going to miss people, so I, I, I try not to get too detailed, but of course, my wife, uh, a former guest on the show, uh, Dr. Cicely Littlewolf, she is a captain in the U.S. Army, um, and a lot of the artists that have been featured on here are veterans as well, Marines, Air Force, Army, who have all served and who has dedicated years of their life to service of this country. So for that, I want to thank them and for you, listener, who is a veteran, thank you for your service. It is appreciated. It is acknowledged. And we are a better place because of the work that you put in. So thank you for that. So join us next week. We have someone coming on that I'm very excited about and who is also a veteran, uh, but I'm going to hold off until uh, that introduction. I'm Joe Williams. You can find me on Canna, that's C-A-N-A-A, Creativity Among Native American Artists on Facebook and at theplainsart.org. You can find us on multitudes of podcast platforms. Let us know if we're not on there. So wear a mask, be safe, and we will see you next week. <laughs>